Here on the Lollygaggers Podcast, we believe it's never too late to wish someone a happy new year. So we're going to do that now, a week late. But we're also probably doing it in June, just for shiggles. In this episode, Jeff realizes it's okay to be sad while reading a new comic, Frog Catchers, while Justin learns to count to three with Netflix's Dracula. Both lollygaggers then settle in to marvel at Henry Cavill's butt, chin, and swordplay in The Witcher. Welcome to the Lollygaggers Podcast, a show about all sorts of different things, from comics to games, movies to TV. I am one of your hosts, Jeff. I'm the other one, Justin. How's it going, buddy? Going all right. I think this is episode 76. I think that's right. I'm pretty sure. We just did our Star Wars one. I, I'm sure it's close. Yeah, it's well, got to be right. It's not 76. It's 69 plus 7. It, that's true. I totally forgot to continue doing that. But then, like, holidays started and our schedule, you know, like, everything kind of got weird. And so now we're back. Hey, did you see? Did back you, on track. Did you see the link I sent you last night on uh, on Discord? I did see that. Knives Out Sequel. I am so very, very, very excited for that. I hope uh, it has something to do with that people. I just hope it's to do with uh, uh, Daniel Craig's character just goes to another Yeah, that's what it is. Situation. That's what it's going to be. Yeah. So it's kind of like a Hercules Poirot type of thing. Speaking of which, uh, I'll talk about that maybe in a different episode. Uh, but my wife and I just did like a, another escape room that was basically like Murder on the Orient Express. It's pretty awesome. Oh, we did too. We did one. Uh, we did an escape room. It was like. It's not what we're talking about, but it was like a, right. <laughs> it was the uh, castle one, and okay. it's like an expert one, and nice. we got through pretty good. We took a break halfway through because we were doing some stuff, like uh, and we came back to it a couple of days later. But like, what was cool about it is it connects directly to the next one. It's cool. the first one where it was like a almost like an episodic, oh nice uh, escape room. So like it. It, it was connected to the next one and we had to do the next one next. So it's, they're still fun. So yeah. We were banging out some, some, cause we had time, you know, I had time off for, for Christmas. My wife took semi, she was still working, but like she took some time off. So we were able to do an escape room. It was pretty awesome. We got nine out of 10 stars. So we were pretty excited about that. We didn't take any clues. We really took our time. It was rough. It was, it was, it was kind of difficult. Then there's a new game that I'm going to talk about by the same company. I'll talk about that maybe next episode or so, because uh, this episode, I actually would rather talk about a comic that uh, I got for uh, for Christmas. So the comic is uh, is by uh, Jeff Lemire, who you might recognize, Justin, as being the author uh, of uh, of Gideon Falls, like my my like favorite yeah. comic that like the con- like that's. I credit Gideon Vols for being the comic that kind of got me into like modern comics, like modern indie comics. That's, that's what like it that. takes. It takes these little niche things, mm-hmm. these niche ideas to get you back in. Like, yeah, for me, Why the Last Man kind of did the same sure, thing. Sure, yeah, and yeah. I started liking. I actually, uh, read that one. Like, <laughs> yeah, like these outside ancillary stories that weren't superhero based, and it really got me back into it. Yeah, so like yeah. I've been but, digging it. Like, I know I don't, I don't read a ton, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly selective about what I grab. Uh, but uh, but I saw that he was coming out with a a book called uh, called Frog Catchers, which is a standalone book. Uh, it's published by Gallery Thirteen. Uh, Jeff Lemire does the the art and the writing in this, so it's all him. Uh, he, in addition to Gideon Falls, he he does he's done Black Hammer, he's done Roughneck. I think that was also with Gallery Thirteen. He's done Essex County, a bunch of other things. Uh, but I uh, I got I got on board with the Jeff Lemire train when it came to Gideon Falls, and it's still I'm still reading it, it's still ongoing. I don't really talk about it as much anymore, just because you know what else am I supposed to say? I love it, and then I can spoil all the story, and so I don't really get into it too heavily. But uh, but I love I love the guys writing in Gideon Falls. I love the story, the horror, the weird elements in it, and Frogcatcher is different because uh, it doesn't have the kind of horror element that we see in Gideon Falls. Instead, it is a it's a, it's a quieter story. It's a, it's more kind of an internal journey. 
Uh, so it's and it's not something that I don't think you can get it on like Comixology. I'm pretty sure I have a physical copy of it. There's a hardcover. I think that's like 15 bucks or so. I think there's a soft cover coming out. There might be a Kindle version, but I don't think it's up on Comixology. So the basic summary here is that it's about an older man who wakes up in a hotel named the Edgewater Hotel. And he has no real memory of how he got there or, you know, what's going on, even unclear about who he is. He's like kind of got gaps in his memories, kind of that classic amnesia sort of like, where, where am I type of opening, right? And he begins to explore the hotel and it be, and it's basically empty, like in the sense of what you would expect to find in a hotel, multiple people staying there, et cetera, et cetera, is not at all what he finds. He doesn't find anyone working there. Uh, there isn't like, you know, it, it's not, it's clearly not your average hotel. And he starts looking around the room and like one of the things he notices is like there's a frog like nailed to the door, which is such a weird image. And later as he's exploring, there's like a banging coming from one specific door. And then he finally finds somebody else. As he's exploring this whole room, he finally runs into somebody else. And it's this young kid that's been hiding in the basement. And he is scared of someone called the Frog King. Uh, so frog imagery is obvious considering the title and considering all these other pieces, right? So the the story is about the man and this kid kind of exploring and navigating this hotel because there's just one specific room in the hotel that's banging and banging and banging. And there's all these sorts of now this noise coming from it. And the kid's like, no, 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 we can't go in there. And the guy's like, the older man's like, listen, we can't find any other way out because they can't seem to make their way out. So let's just let's just go through this hotel. There's like some kind of monstery type creatures that start chasing them here and there. And so they're kind of hiding out from them as well. Uh, and so you start to figure out, I think relatively quickly that this, this isn't a story that where, where everything that's happening is really happening kind of thing. A lot of it's figurative or surrealistic in a way. That's the word I, I see thrown around a lot with a lot of different reviews. Uh, so you're getting the sense that a lot of the things that we're seeing, you question how much of them are happening or what do they represent that type of thing. And this is the type of stuff that I like, right? This is the, the type of stories you know, I talked about tremor dose a couple episodes back, you know, these types of weird kind of kind of mind screw stories in a way that I really like. Um, now the, uh, the two of them continue, they explore around, not just the hotel, but they also eventually get outside the hotel and you get some really interesting imagery. Uh, when you get out there, there's like this, impossibly long ocean there's this ridiculously long bridge and you're trying to figure out what exactly do these things mean what do they represent as they're journeying along this ridiculously large bridge or pier whatever you want to call it so ultimately it's a it's a really sad tragic but also kind of beautiful story in a way and it's not one that focuses heavily on the fantastical or the horror it's more about like the interpersonal journey as these two are trying to figure things out and it's all about like memory and loss and kind of consciousness, like these sort of big, big abstract terms. Now, the art style is really interesting in the sense that it's very much I kind of equated it to almost like a rough draft. Like if I'm looking at the, the comic, um, I'm seeing like kind of rough art in a way. Uh, Lemire does it. He does the, the, does the art for this. And he doesn't always in some of his work. A lot of his work, he's he's basically a writer. Uh, but every now and then he gets to do a little bit of both. And so in this case, he is he's doing this as kind of all his. And I, and I say that it's incomplete or rough, not as an insult in any respects. It's just, that's just kind of how it looks. And there's something about the way the incomplete nature, the kind of black and white-ish, it's not fully black and white because there's these little subtle kind of watercolor moments of like, like, a, like a greenish tint that come in from time to time. Uh, there's really rough lines, like s s things aren't perfect 
And I think that kind of fits somewhat with the notion of this guy's not really sure who he is and where he is and what's going on. And like the art kind of supports that in the way that like some of these things are kind of unclear about what they're going, what's going through them or they seem incomplete or they need revision or refinement or clarity. And like, since the concept of clarity is what this old man is, is sort of seeking throughout some of the story, it kind of works, I think in a way. Uh, I think it fits the tone. I think it fits the intentions of the story and, and it all kind of works out really, really, really well. Now, the book itself is a fairly quick read, uh, so much so that it's you can you can easily read it in one sitting and you can probably, uh, you know, pro- you probably want to read it a second time, especially once you get to the the main reveal uh, about that kind of tells you a little bit about what's going on. And I don't want to I'm not going to spoil that, obviously, but uh, it is a tragic and sad story, but it is a story that I think is one that is worth reading. Uh, I like sad stories. I really, really do. I especially like stories that kind of explore loss and memory. Uh, the concept of memory to me or consciousness is really sort of interesting, like how our brains work, how our minds work, how we sort of try to make sense of our worlds and all those types of uh, really difficult to define concepts. Like how do you remember like what you were doing when you were a kid or how, and uh, you know, when you're an older man, like when you're looking back on your life, which some of this is reflective, right? Like, what do you think of? Like, what are the memories that come to you most vividly? And what are the ones that seem so fleeting? What are the ones that you value most versus what are the ones that that you that you forgot that you even experienced? Uh, so this is this is a this is far more of a like there's a, there's a certain level of sentimentality in this, but I, again, I'm not saying that in a in a critical sense. It's just it's a it's a quieter type of story that has really fascinating imagery, raises interesting questions, but doesn't it's not bombastic in any way. Uh, so I highly recommend it, especially to anybody who likes like surreal surrealistic stories. Uh, who likes quiet stuff, sad stuff, who likes kind of weird, mysterious elements and trying to suss things out, uh, and who doesn't mind a gut punch every now and then, because that's what this book is going to kind of give you. So uh, Frog Catchers, Jeff Lemire, published by Gallery 13. You can get it. Uh, you can get it in hardcover, softcover soon, Kindle as well, I think. Uh, so I definitely highly recommend it. Yeah, I like that type of art sometimes, where it's like rough draft, like almost like a... a, a an uglier, but not necessarily like ugly, just a different type of right. like, it's, it's not know, super like a, precise, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I like the fact that, you know, it looks like a work in progress in a way. Uh, it looks like om- almost like we're trying to figure things out as we go. Uh, and I, and there's, there's something about that, that sort of, we didn't spend hours and hours and hours in like a room filled with other people trying to decide, you know, does this image look the best or does that image? This is just like, no, like almost like a gut feel. Like when I was thinking of this element of the story, this is the image that popped up and for better or worse, clarity or not, this is what we're going with. And I really like the, that juxtaposition. So, and again, this isn't to say that the art isn't bad. There's some really awesome images. Like there really are like, there's this fantastic image towards the end when they're walking on this, this really, really long bridge and like they do almost like a bird's eye view of it. And it's just so stunning, like the concept of it, like what, like what that bridge leads to and what you're looking at from a, from a distance. And as things are starting to be cl- you know, clearer and clearer, what the story is sort of exploring. I don't think it's the most like surprising story. I do think there's clues and hints along the way. So it's not like, it's not like an M night Shyamalan thing where it's only gonna like the story is only good if you're not if you don't know what's coming. I think my second read was just as enjoyable as the first, despite the fact that I knew exactly kind of how it was ending. You know, 
So definitely, definitely recommend it. Art style, I think it's it's rough, but nonetheless, like really engaging. Uh, so I, I I can't I can't speak highly enough about it. Like I really really like it. I, very very rarely am I ever going to talk about a comic on this show that I don't love because I'm very selective in what I read. And so I I saw this coming out. I put it on a Christmas list that my my wife's like, "What do you want for Christmas?" And here you go. And then luckily she bought it for me. So uh, fantastic. It came out back in September. So it's it's available now. All right. Well, I spent some of my time uh, this break watching some TVs and a new uh, uh, TV show that came out was just recently. It was like maybe a week ago. I was seeing all these ads about it because they had a really cool billboard ad where it was like a bunch of knives stuck in a, a, a billboard. And then when the sun came or when the sun went down, there was a lamp on the side and that lamp projected across those knives. The shadows created the face of Dracula, which I thought was really cool. So um, I watched Dracula, and this is created by Mark Gaddis and Stephen Moffat. Now, these guys are the same two that uh, did uh, Sherlock, and Stephen Moffat also has a, a huge thing with uh, um, Doctor, uh, Doctor Who. So this stars, I believe it's Clace Bang and Dolly West. Clace Bang plays your titular uh, Dracula, uh, Count Dracula, and uh, Dolly West plays Dude, I'm so a, proud Dolly of you Wells. for using titular properly and not giggling halfway titular. through the word. Yeah. Like, I'm really, really <laughs> proud of you. Um, and Dolly Wells plays a uh, sister, Agatha, um, who's a, a very important character to this whole thing. And basically, they're, they're, the, they're the back and forth of this entire story. So it takes place roughly, uh, mostly in uh, 18, I believe it's 1872, I believe that's what it is. Um, and it's basically following the story of Dracula. And it's this very... Short season. It's the only first season, but they do it a lot like Sherlock, where it's three episodes, and those three episodes are an hour and a half long, and they're almost like little mini movies, which I very much liked about Sherlock. It yeah. also makes it so you have Luther a, a was like that too, wasn't show. it? I think Luther was a little yeah, like Luther. that as well. A lot of these BBC, yeah. uh, like uh, series, stories, yeah, yeah, series, because they call they don't even call them seasons. They call it like series one, series we're two. Like series a, we're just totally experts on British culture. Like that's just serious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's like like what we do here. So yeah, that's all it is. Just Doctor Who and Luther and uh, the Queen. Anyways, uh, so the story basically follows around Dracula. Your main character is Dracula. However, he's also your villain, which is very interesting. Now, when I first started watching this show. I didn't really see any previews about it. The only thing I really saw was that billboard. And I was like, I know that it's, it's directed by the same people and created by the same people. So it got, it's at least got some, some uh, I guess, clout behind it with the people that are creating this show. The main actor, Clay Spang, um, I don't know what else I've seen him in ever. I'm sure he's been in some other stuff that I may have seen. Like, there's really nothing much that I can think of that I've seen as, as, as stuff that, He's in the affair. Just like he was in the most recent uh, uh, Girl in the Spider's Web movie. I guess so. Yeah, he was. But like, he's not like. Your... Oh, he's in, he was in the affair. He was. Uh, he was on uh, on Showtime's The Affair. There you go. So he's he's now he's now Benedict Cumberbatch is a big name, which I don't think he really was a huge name until <laughs> not the start. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, but uh, he's a very interesting character because he's very charming and also a piece of garbage because he's Dracula and they, they really do explore 
the rules of vampires and what's going on. And their storytelling is very nonlinear and flashbacky and uh, just disjointed, which is a really interesting way to show it. I know some people have some issues with that, with uh, with the show we're going to talk about a little bit later with the storytelling. But um, I, I I like the way they, they did this uh, storytelling element of, uh like the first episode they're basically interviewing a man who is dead who but he's also undead like he's just like a he's a rotting corpse there's not much of a a surprise so you can tell right off the bat that this man there's something physically wrong with him and he's recounting he's a lawyer that's recounting his time he spent with dracula and trying to attain property in england because dracula wants to leave from transylvania to england to establish his time and you know he wants to kind of like go there and you know, be Dracula. He wants to kill people and do stuff like that. And they do a really good job of exploring who he is, why he does the things he does, the the rules of of these vampires. And it's going back to old school, non glittery vampires and non uh, face vagina uh, vampires. It's just old school. I can transform into wolves. I can manipulate people's decisions, you know, vampires kiss, stuff like that. And it's really nice and refreshing to get back to this basics of non-silly vampires. Because he's not like the most handsome man on the planet, but he's just the way he kind of, you know, precedes himself. He's, he's, He's charming and can easily, I could see how this man could like draw you in as an interesting character. And it explains why he drinks people's blood and why he chooses the people that he that he he feeds on. And it's very interesting how they do it. I'm trying to be as vague as possible because there's only three episodes and it's very spoilery. A few things about it I enjoyed quite a bit. It is extremely violent, um, which is interesting because it gets a TV 14 rating sometimes. And I don't know how it's doing that because there's like decapitations, lots and lots and lots of blood, uh, compound fractures, weird weird stuff um him crawling out of a a wolf stuff like that where it's just like really graphic and i don't understand how tv 14 does make sense to me but the special effects they're not they don't go over the top with it they're not doing like him flying into a a bat you know just jumping in and he has there's little homages to like nosferatu and stuff like that or bram stoker's dracula where he's crawling up the side of the wall and it's almost like unnatural um and there's like little things like that are pretty cool but they don't overdo it with the special effects it's mostly the the story and the interesting part of the 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 show is based off of his interaction with agatha the the sister um and uh, uh this nun and it's a really interesting uh thing where like she's the good guy and he's the bad guy but he's the one you're following in the story and she's the one where you're kind of rooting for him behind, but she's not the follow-along character. You know what I mean? So it's really an interesting uh, uh, juxtaposition of storytelling that they're doing. So I really can't suggest it enough. I, the, the first episode took a little bit. I was like, I don't know, because like when you first see Dracula, he's a little ridiculous and he's a little silly. But then it slowly starts getting better once it's almost like they intended it. Like he, as his character starts improving the storyline and the and the mystery starts improving and you start getting drawn in as he starts becoming more of the Dracula you're aware of and it's just a really really interesting first episode the second episode 
is a, a story about him traveling on a boat and how he kind of like is trying to get to England on that boat and him with these, I think it was only with 14 people or 10 people. So it's basically like a, uh, almost like a whodunit, but we all know who done it. Like we all know he did it. And it's an interesting little story of these little characters that they're creating and how he's slowly dismantling all of them and why these people are involved with the boat. Um, and then the third episode has a huge twist to it. And it ends at the second episode, and the third episode has a huge twist to it, which um, is a very interesting end to the first series. So I am I really enjoy it a lot. Um, I especially enjoy the old-fashioned horrific gore that comes out of it. And it's not like... I mean, it's not, it's not like, you know, it's not like a Kill Bill type of stuff, but like it's really old style vampire. I'm, I'm sucking your blood. There's blood all over the place. And it's a really interesting little, little way that they did that. So it's a Dracula on Netflix. It's only three episodes, but those episodes are each an hour and a half long. So they're, they're good. It's just like Sherlock. It's like little movies you're watching and they're all really, really good. So that's, uh, that's, that's what I was into this week. All right, man. Uh, I am definitely going to give that a watch. I don't know when, uh, so it's good that you talked about it now, but I, I will definitely tackle it. I, it, it hasn't been on that long. Uh, but uh, I just finished up watching a different series that we're going to talk about together here uh, in our shared breakdown. It's the TV. Breakdown. The Witcher is a Netflix television series that premiered towards the end of 2019, and it stars Henry Cavill uh, as Geralt of Rivia, or, or basically The Witcher. The Witcher being a wandering uh, monster hunter in a fantastical world. Now, the series itself is based off a series of books, both short stories and novels, uh, by Polish writer Andrzej Sapkowski, and I'm probably not right on that. Uh, mo- more Thank com- you so much for doing that. Yeah, and not having me do yeah, it. I got you. Appreciate it. Whatever. I just committed to what I said, and if I'm right, great. If not, whatever. Uh, I think more obviously more more commonly, I think most people know this as the Witchers from the video games, right? Uh, so there's the Witcher, the Witcher Two, Assassin of Kings, and there's the Witcher Three. Uh, that wonderful praise and all wonderful things to the second and third. The first one was a little clunky, but whatever. Uh, so anyway, the the first season of The Witcher is eight episodes long, and it tracks a lot of, well, I mean, how do we put this? It, it tracks a lot of the relationship between Geralt, Geralt of Rivia and Ciri, uh, who is a Sintran princess, Sintra being one of the many kingdoms within the continent on which uh, the events of this show are, are set. Now, they are connected, we learn at a certain point in the series, by destiny, uh, the specific mechanics or the, the reasons why their destinies become intertwined is something that's explored over the course of the many uh, wonderful episodes. Now, in addition to that, it also follows one of the one of the, the other three of the three point of view characters we kind of get, Geralt, Siri. The third one is Yennefer uh, Vengenberg, uh, Vengerberg, who is a sorceress. Uh, she was she we learned very early on in the first in the first uh, episode that she is sort of taken almost against her will. Uh, and then she is forced to train as a sorceress uh, over the course of these eight episodes. Uh, and so pretty much what we do is we we follow their exploits. And we do so in a sometimes confusing way, simply because the timing, uh, the timing structure of this show can be somewhat complex. Because 
even though they're all three point of view characters and we see their various exploits, they're not all happening at the same time. Uh, and so in some episodes, Yennefer's story might be, you know, 30, 40 years ago. In Geralt's episodes, it might be a couple months ago. In series episodes, it might be it might be now. But over the course of the of the of the entire season, eventually those stories begin to intertwine. And so what we have here is almost like a series of short stories that are kind of over that kind of weave together with overarching storylines that eventually come together because there is this looming threat of Nilfgaard, this, uh, this growing and more powerful uh, country, this kingdom that's, that's endangering the kingdom of Sintra and some of the other kingdoms of which the sorceress community that Yennefer becomes a part of uh, is concerned about kind of keeping, keeping at bay. Uh, now we get some elements that we might be familiar with. If you've played the video game, certain, uh, certain, certain characters like, uh, Yaskier, who is Dandelion. Uh, if you recall the Witcher games, uh, we also see Triss Marigold as well. So a common reoccurring character throughout the first three Witcher games themselves. And so there's some things that we'll get. And that if you're a fan of the video games, it will be familiar to you. If you've also read some of the stories, you'll also see some other elements, uh, for instance, the very first episode uh, goes into why Geralt has the nickname the Butcher of Blaviken, which is a, a phrase that was thrown around consistently throughout his this time in the, in the video games, and they never really explored why. But we learn a little bit about that in the very first episode of this series. So uh, that's just kind of a quick overview of The Witcher. So, Justin, uh, what did you think? So I never played the games. Um, which is, I guess, a disservice. I played the second one up until I had to fight, and I never really got the combat down very well. So uh, I, I always ended up dying in that. There's like the second the second game, there's like a battle at a castle. I would die a whole bunch there, and I was like, I, I can't figure this okay. out. So uh, I just would always Did you playing. ever play the first? Because like the second, the first. number two's controls are super simple, and you know, like comparatively. The first, yeah, epi- the first, the first uh, game's controls were... Man, those are some weird things to get used to. Uh, but yeah, but the second one and the third one are, I think, far more conventional. Anyway, keep going. And then I started reading the short stories when the movie was announced because I knew that handsome Henry Cavill was going to be the Witcher. So I'm like, I'm definitely watching this because Superman is so handsome. So I had to at least watch the show. So uh, I started re- reading those, but I wasn't able to get through the first book before I was, you know, the, the show came out. So I have a very limited view of of the source material and stuff like that. Like I know who he is, obviously, because I enjoy video games and he's part of the video games zeitgeist and stuff like that. So I know who Geralt is and Siri and all these people are. So I Geralt, don't really know not Geralt, Geralt, sorry, Geralt, and uh, I, but I don't really know like their stories and what they've done. So I came into this thing pretty blind. Um, but that being said. I very much like like this story. Um, I, I liked the storytelling. I think one of the biggest gripes people have about this show is the way is to which they deliver the material, and I and it was uh, surprising because I didn't notice until episode four what the hell was happening. Uh, with the time jump, time differences. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I figured. Yeah. Because it's not until the ball happens that you're like, oh, okay, this is all right. But then, like, I think what makes it even more confusing is that certain people don't age because of right, like sorcerers don't really age. G- Geralt doesn't really age in the sense, like, or at least in a, in a way that's noticeable. Like, it's not in a common aging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, because they are warped by the things that they are a part of. Like she is, Yennefer is a sorceress and it's part of her nature not to age. She can last hundreds of years because of her her nature of what she does. And because of the treatments that Geralt went through, he'll age slower and he just doesn't really change over time. But like, it didn't really strike me until later on. But I don't really have a problem with the way they did that. I actually thought it was very fun. I don't like linear storytelling all the time. But then I also don't like, I bet you can't guess how I got here. And it wasn't one of those situations. It wasn't like, oh man, I'm really in this spot. Well, let me tell you how I ended up in this spot. It wasn't that. It's just kind of like the way they told the story. Um, I thought the fighting in this TV show is some of the best uh, the sort of fighting. choreography. Yeah. yeah. It's some of the best choreography I've ever seen in a TV. Um, the thing that they said early on in this show was like, it's going to make Game of Thrones look like patty cake or something like that or something silly. And then people kept on comparing it to Game of Thrones. It's not a Game of Thrones. They were, they were talking about their fighting and their, their, their brutality. Because it is both beautiful and horrific what he does and when, he, when he's the butcher of Blavik. the name of the butcher of Blavik. And it, he is a butcher. It is quite horrendous what he does, but it is also beautiful. It's really cool. Um, so I, I really like that. Um, I think that his tagalong character, um, the bard, is great. Jaskin. And they have, yeah, and they have. Uh, at first, I was like, eh, I don't know about this, but then as they kind of like create their relationship, I'm like, hell yeah, this is yeah. great. Um, I liked all the little side. It's almost like their little side quests that they're doing. Um, yeah because it's the form of the original books because they were the original books were hey basically short here's stories. this dude yeah here's this dude yeah. he's pretty badass right we're gonna tell about his stories that he like saved this girl from a curse or did this and this and this yeah it's it's and got a what they do it's got an interesting monster of the week feel in a way right it yeah. takes the concept of monster of the week and then it iterates on it a little bit and it weaves in these these larger destiny driven stories or these character driven arcs in ways that allow for like a continuous storyline, right? Uh, some more clearly than others, like series storyline, for instance, is far more like, like direct and linear in the sense that one episode directly affects the next, which directly affects the next. Whereas Yennefer and Geralt, it's a little bit, they, they jump around a little bit more here and there. Uh, but nonetheless, like, yeah, it's definitely using that kind of monster of the week or, or mystery of the week or, something like that that they have to solve in each episode while also like dealing with the larger implications uh, of the world and the politics. Yeah. Cause it's also connected where it's like, so the, the third episode is the first story in the books. It is about a little girl that is the product of a curse that is turned into some type of like demon that, that uh, scours these tombs and murders these, these miners in this area. And he has to go in and either kill it or save it. And the story of that is basically our, our, so even though she has no control of it over who she is, she is a monster and can monsters be saved, even though they have no control over type of stuff. And that's a theme that goes throughout the whole story. Like he is a monster. He is a genetically altered monster. Basically. That's what he is. Even though he's a killer of monsters, he's he a himself. He's a human. He's a human mutant. He's, he's a mutant. I, yeah. don't, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to call him a monster because I don't think he's, a he, he's an abomination of what is basically. Um, in this world and, and same for Yennefer she's a bit of a monster as well like they're all they're all not perfect people 
And the I guess the main implication they're trying to drive, drive through this whole thing is, and same for Siri. Siri has something about her too that's special that could make her an awful thing, or she could also be a good person. And so the idea of are these people worth saving, and are they are, are they still people, or are they are all monsters just meant to be killed? And I think in previous Witchers, not him, but just like previous way of his clan, it was most like we go out there, we kill stuff for people, we get money, we move on. It's just our job, it's our duty. And that's what we do. And I think it's kind of, he's kind of turning out of like, yeah, but there's more of a moralistic feel to it. And I think it's a really interesting little bottom line story going on with the whole thing as well. On, on top of, he's got his shirt off a lot, which is super sweet. And uh, the monsters and the special effects look really cool. So I think when you add all that stuff together, it's pretty neat. Yeah, so I came at this from a different perspective than you in the sense that I played all the games, played them multiple times, love the Witcher games. Uh, the Witcher 2, in fact, is one of my all-time favorite games, probably a top three game for me, even though I've recognized that The Witcher 3 is probably a, the better game. There's something about The Witcher 2 that I always go back to. Like, I always love the fact that halfway through that, or even a third of the way into that, you have to, like, make a major choice, and that radically changes the way that the game sets forth after that. Uh, plus, at the time, I was just so awestruck by how much better it was in terms of controls than the first Witcher. And the Witcher, the very first Witcher is actually really good. Like, you get into the story, like, there's some cringy moments uh, with kind of how they handle like sex and like collectible card stuff. But, uh, but yeah, he like, bangs a lot of, a lot of ladies, which is uh, fine. I mean, whatever, man, it's people a have of, sex. God of war esque um, very much. Like. But like, but in, in like the Witcher two, I, I, I just, I absolutely fell in love with the, the whole, whole stuff. And then Witcher three came out and I, and I as well started reading the books, but I started reading them a while ago. Like I got really obsessed when I finished the Witcher three, like I felt like a loss at like, Oh my God, this is it. There's no more. And like, and then I played like Blood and Wine and stuff like that. And I was reading like all the short stories on a, like an airplane once a couple a couple years back. So I, I have a decent like working knowledge of it. I did not reread them before the show started. So it's not like everything was fresh, but I have a general sense of like what a lot of the stories are, people's connections, etc. cetera. Uh, and I found that the way in which the stories were told, I loved it. I love the nonlinear way of story, but I also kind of got it. Like, you know, and, and, and I, I don't know if, if it's the most accessible way to tell these stories, because I don't think it was always clear. I also think it's not, not just time, but also places. Like sometimes like there's the lo locations have these names and they're hard to kind of keep track of. Then you have all these different kingdoms and, you know, we're at these big meetings with different sorceries that get thrown out. Yeah. Like, and there's oh, a, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And like, we're and like, and it's hard, I think for readers or for, for viewers, I should say to keep track of, of all of those things and to know which they're supposed to keep track of, right? Because just because a bunch of names are thrown out doesn't mean that they're all relevant to the story. So I can certainly understand the criticism that it's sometimes hard to follow. Like I can see that as being an issue, but I didn't really have a problem with that. And I understood like where a lot of these, a lot of these stories were going, or at least I understood the book or the video game iteration of some of these stories or the implications of some of these stories. So it was easier for me to kind of just like sit back and just see how this new medium is going to interpret the works of, you know, of Sapkowski and, and The Witcher. Like, so it's a new interpretation. It's an adaptation. So it doesn't have to be perfect. And I wasn't expecting it to have the exact same iteration. Right. So I was just enjoying myself the whole way. Um, but I really, really enjoyed it. Now, I think Henry Cavill, like I was skeptical when they when they uh, when they said him. I'm like, wow, he's way too good looking for this. And uh, I still think he's really, really good looking. Uh, but he, I think he does so amazing as Gerald. Like the, the, I thought he was uh, fantastic. He was and so I, good. Even, I think even the author was like, this is the perfect representation of 
Yeah. The superb representation of The Witcher, forever he will be great. Yeah, like, yeah. That's a pretty good, yeah. that's a, a resounding answer to that one. I, I just think he's he got he has the voice down, he has the mannerisms down. There's like there's the confidence and subtle, you know, an arrogance that comes with it, but also like a wisdom and a deserved arrogance that comes with it. Uh that I think Geralt's always kind of had. Like this guy is ridiculously capable and he has kind of every right to be arrogant, but at the same time he's not obnoxious about it. And and you know, I think Cavill embodies that really well. Uh, I think the voice, the gravelly nature of the voice, the the occasional like just mumbles and stuff like that, the little jokes with Roach, uh, stuff like that, all all kind of made me smile because I felt like they were good nods to what we know of the character, what a lot of people's uh, main interaction with Geralt as as a character has been, and that is that is through the video games. So a lot of that was great as well. Uh, I thought that. Uh, I was actually kind of surprised at how little uh, Tris Marigold kind of came into play, just considering how heavy of a presence she has in the video games. Uh, I, under, I and, and that was a little bit surprising to me. I understand that the first season is based a little bit on like The Last Wish, and The Last Wish is very Yennefer Geralt focused. So I guess I, I mean, I totally understand that. Uh, I found Yennefer, the way in which they portrayed Yennefer's backstory was fascinating to me. Like there were times in which I thought like, I really liked Yennefer. And then there were other times where I thought like she was coming across more like kind of like a spoiled teenager in some ways. Uh, and so it was really, I thought that kind of interpretation was really fascinating because in, in the, the games, like she doesn't show up until the third game and she's like this enigmatic, enigmatic presence, you know? So like when my first impressions of Yennefer were from the video games and they were always as a supremely capable, but kind of elusive and enigmatic figure that I only had heard about through stories and people referencing and knowing that Geralt wanted to track her down. Right. And so seeing like her origin story and the stuff that she went through was really like really enjoyable in some respects. Um, I think that there are moments in the stories where like you could have been clearer with things. Uh, I, I do wonder where they're going to go if they're going to do a time jump in the, uh, in the second season, presuming they have a second season. Uh, I do kind of wonder if that's what's going to happen. Uh, but nonetheless, I, I really, I really enjoyed a lot of the the pacing of it. Uh, I definitely liked how each episode to some degree seemed or tried to take on the spirit of those short stories, which is, this is what the focus of this episode is, this monster or this problem to solve, whether it's, you know, the ball or whether uh, it's the, the Blavik and stuff in the very beginning whether it's whether it's Yennefer trying to, you know, get the power from the, you know, the specific supernatural creature whose name I won't actually mention because it's it's not really spoilery, but there's a specific supernatural creature she's trying to train of trade of magic in one episode, and it's a really kind of kind of silly episode, but nonetheless like a very very important one, especially in how it defines Geralt's and Yennefer's relationship moving forward. So like ultimately, like I love the series. But I'm also biased as all hell, man. Like there is, it's, it, it would have, they would have had to really fall on their face for me not to enjoy this. Uh, in much the same way that when Game of Thrones started, like I was a huge Game of Thrones fan. I read all the books like like three or four times before the show even came out. I started reading them when I was in high school or college, something like that, you know? So I was like already ready to, to enjoy it. Like I'm one of those fans of like books or comics where I'm not going to like gatekeep and get super protective and be like, no, 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 you can't do this. Like I'm all for seeing how somebody else is going to interpret the stories that I've been reading. So once The Witcher came out, I was watching, I was like, I love this. Like, and I do, I really, really love it. It's not the same thing as the books. It's not the same thing as the games, but I really, really enjoyed it. 
Uh, I think the leads are fantastic. Uh, the uh, it's not just Henry Cavill, but I thought the uh, the actress who plays Siri. I want to get her name right here. Uh, Freya Freya Allen. I thought she was really really good. Uh, I thought that their casting of Yennefer uh, is Anya Sh- uh, Shalotra. I thought she was really really good as well. Uh, she's got this like there's a de- she has like the arrogant demeanor that Yennefer has, but again, it's so interesting because at times she seems very very like teenagery and I'm just going to like rebel against dis- you know anyone who attempts to give me structure and like that like it's just a different vibe than I got when I when I played the Witcher 3 right and so it was like really cool seeing it in a different way so overall I love the series uh I can't wait for a second season I was really sad when it was only 8 episodes I thought there were 10 because I didn't you know I don't like to spoil myself anymore I was hoping for that 13 that they do a lot because when really did they do the th- they never do 13 anymore it's like all 10 these days on Netflix yeah. or eight now we're doing even you know three for Dracula right uh so I I can't say enough good things about it but again I am a huge fan of the Witcher and I'm super you know forgiving of everything I just want I just want more of it because I like the world the politics are complicated the fantasy world is dark I like dark fantasy worlds I thought the uh, the way in which they conveyed magic in here was really, really interesting. Game of Thrones, there's not a ton of magic, right? Like there's little moments here and there, and it took a while for us to really see like the dragons turn into what they are, right? For so long in Game of Thrones, it was it was very much like just a just a, like a historical set piece almost. And this like magic plays a part. There's this one wonderful episode where Jennifer for Yennefer is like being chased through portals, and like she keeps making these portals and hopping through them like in sand and different, like it looked really, really cool and in water. Uh, so I, I definitely like a lot of that. And you've already made the the other maiden point I would have made, which is just how fantastic the sword fighting is. Like I love the sword fighting in this. I think it's really, really good. And it happens in the first episode too. So uh, huge, huge recommendation for me, huge thumbs up for me. And I definitely want to see more. Well, that's why I think that my, my view of it is a bit, um, it's different than yours because I don't have that. I don't have a love of the game. I haven't played that card game that I don't know what it's called that right. people are really Gwent. crazy about. So Talking about Gwent. Gwent. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't done any of that stuff. I know nothing about this universe. So for me as a complete person, as an outsider, the only connection I have to it is I like video games. I think Henry Cavill's butt chin is the most adorable thing on the planet. That's My how I got Jeffrey. Like his butt and most people agree with me in that because he's just <laughs> so dreamy. But like beyond that, like I don't, I have no reference to it. And so I was one of those people that thought that the storytelling was a little bit strange, but then it didn't take away the storyline from me. It didn't take the overall thing from me. I thought it was a really, once it happened, I'm like, oh, I like this because I'm getting tired of this linear storyline. I like seeing mixed and jumbled stuff to show a story a little bit better. Like it showed, it was, it was, it wasn't really mixed and jumbled. It was, you know, they're showing the progression of, of Geralt, they're showing the progression of Yennefer, they're showing the progression of Ciri, and that was the linear line. It wasn't the fact of time as the linear line. It was their growing as characters is what was the the straight through line from which I thought was a really cool way to tell a story. So I highly suggest that if anything, just for Henry Cavill shirt being off in like six episodes, it was weird. My wife always ended up being in the room when it happened. I don't know what why that was. Um, there must be something about like spider sense going on in her head. Um, the only thing that makes me sad about it is I'm sure he won't be Superman for a little while, but you know, cause I think he's a perfect Superman. But, yeah. uh, I, I think, I think he's a, uh, I think he did. Yeah. He said all the ancillary characters did a great job too. So I give a ring endorsement to the witchers. All right. 
So uh, yeah, we both like it. We both enjoy it. We both have kind of a different like different backgrounds and how much we know about The Witcher. So I don't know, try it for yourself. See if you like it. If you do, awesome. Maybe tell us what you think up on the up on Twitter where you can catch us. Me, for instance, at Lollygagger Co. Justin at buys Justin. You can also that right there is a pro transition. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. That was that was. Good. You can also go up on our website, thelollygaggers.com. Put a comment in there. It might be nice to see. Uh, if you want to chat with Justin in a more one-on-one kind of real-time situation, you can go to his Mixer channel, mixer.com slash Jehufo, where he's been playing all sorts of different uh, single-player games from time to time in some while. Uh, so you can say hello to him and tell him uh, just how much better I am than he is uh, at this whole podcasting thing. Uh, and so I think that's I think that's everything. That's about right. I, I think that's, that's right. I think that's about everything. So Justin, I guess I guess my final oh, my final question for you is that if you were a a monstery type creature in the world uh, of the Witcher, uh, what would you look like, and what would you call yourself? I'd be the the snort buck. Um, I'd be a giant pig creature. Um, and I wouldn't really be ravaging or destroying homes. I just would be hanging out in bars, having the best food. That's all I would kind of be done. Like, give me your most delicious, tasty treats, and that's how I would come in. But my my the way I'm hurting the town is I would do a lot of dining and dashing, which is really more disrespectful than hurting the town so that would be that would be my character 